morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And uh, it's my privilege to offer a very, very warm welcome to all of you. And that is whether you are worshiping with us in person or on the live stream. We are grateful that you are here and joining with us. If you're worshiping on the live stream, we would love for you to say, I'm going to use my computer savvy here, the lingo, check in. Isn't that a computer term? Check in. Let us know you're here. Like our page. If you want to really go extravagant, love our page. We would love for that, okay? We have fragile self-images. We could do that. Love our page. We would love that. But we want to welcome all of you uh, as we gather together this morning to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And we want to uh, welcome our visitors here. If you're visiting for the first time, we have goodie bags out in the narthex. Help yourself to those. Hopefully somebody already gave you one at the door. And for everyone, there are friendship pads at the end of the row. And so if you are sitting on the end of the row, I always look at Dick Unger. Dick, you get me started on, on this one. Fill it out, pass it down. This is for everyone so that we can have the opportunity to get to know you. A couple of announcements before we uh, begin. The women's ministry is hosting a trip on Thursday, October 7th to uh, downtown Eatonton to go visit the Uncle Remus Museum, some of the historical museums. Please RSVP to Lynn Folks by this Friday, October 1st. See, I even looked at the calendar to let you know exactly when it is. This Friday, October 1st, let Lynn know that you can make it. They're, they're counting on hundreds of you women to join with them. Wouldn't that be a good problem to have? I probably just drove Brenda and Lynn nuts. They're going, what are we going to rent buses or something? Rent buses, let's do it. But we would love to have you be a part of that. We also want to give absolute praise to the Lord for the Sheds of Hope ministry. Once again, the Lord was faithful as they built four more sheds this week, bringing... Dick, I feel like I need a drum roll, you know, one of those, bringing our grand total to 106. That is absolutely awesome, and we praise the Lord for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we've been talking about, our small groups, our home fellowship groups, you should have a list of them that are beginning up in October, and so that will let you know the various options in terms of that. And then there's a, I want to highlight another ministry this morning, and it's not quite a home fellowship group, and you'll be hearing in a second what some of the differences are. And I asked my good friend Lou Tepper if he would share with us this morning. Come on up, Lou. Good morning. Can you hear me fine? It was uh, June of 1965 in Black Mountain, North Carolina, that I attended a Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, camp and committed my life for the first time to Christ. Since that time, I've been involved in a lot of ministries trying to grow. Some of them have been outside the church. I still work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Promise Keepers. Some of you older uh, people may remember a great men's ministry. Uh, creation ministry out of Atlanta, and in the church, I've been part of our corporate worship of small groups, uh, home fellowship groups, Bible studies, but I can tell you that since I retired uh, six years ago, no ministry has brought me more joy and brought me closer to Christ than life on life, and most of us do not know about it. Life on Life ministry began 13 years ago at a church, uh, perimeter church in Atlanta. It has exploded. It's now in, on six continents. It's in 14 countries, and it's spread throughout the United States. We began Life on Life here. We finished our third year last year, and our groups had no more than four in any group. There's a verse in your bulletin, it's 1 Thessalonians 2.8, that talks about uh, the two main issues of life on life. It is sharing the gospel and sharing our lives as well. And, and I can tell you that each of us 
uh, in, the, in the broad groups that we're in. Uh, when I come to church, someone will say to me, hey, how are you doing? And what do I respond? Just like you do, I'm doing great. I'm okay. When in fact, I may really be hurting. And we can't express that unless we have the time and the relationship with other people to express our pain, some of the problems that we have, or perhaps that my grandchildren have. My men in my group know way too much about me. They know the warts that I have. They know the problems with my children, but I get to share life with them. As a football coach, I liken it to being, to being a quarterback. You can't do it alone. We can't walk this faith walk alone. The quarterback, without the support of those 10 other people, without a close group, Tim, without a close position group of five other quarterbacks that he can share his life with, we don't have the support and the strength that, that, uh, that we need. And so this is what I would tell you it looks like. We meet for an hour and a half every week during the school year. Much of that time is devoted to a Bible study. But the other part of that time is devoted to relationship, getting to know each other, share our lives together. And there, there are a lot of other things we do. We do learn to be more missional. Uh, we do learn to serve, uh, serve others. But it's open to any believer. You don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, as long as you're a believer, uh, you, you are welcome. And I, I would say if you're tired of surface relationships, if you're tired of being alone, that this is a group you may want to investigate. And so if you have an interest, whether you're a male or a female, if you have an interest, uh, talk to me, give me a call. There are two sign-up sheets in the Narthex. The sign-up sheets don't say that I'm part of the, I want to be part of the group. They simply say I'm interested in learning more and we'd like to start um, in October. Uh, there are a lot of excuses. I, I, I work. No, we, we had a group last year that were all employed people. There, there are people who travel a lot. There are people who are sick a lot. Uh, we make, I, I've got a pilot here who was with me for two years, and then he decided to start his own, uh, his own journey group. But uh, he would phone in, sometimes from Dallas or uh, Boston or someplace off, and he would be on telephone with us as we, as we met each week. So uh, think about it, pray about it. Um, let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you so much for this church, and I thank you for the ministries of the church. I, I thank you for uh, life on life and uh, the joy it's brought so many people here. And I pray that you would, uh, that you would draw people who, uh, who want to grow in their relationship with you and uh, would love a, a true relationship with other Christians. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Lou, thank you. And I do want to encourage uh, any of you that are thinking about this, sign up. All it does, you're not actually committing yourself to the group. You're just saying, I have an interest. I want to talk to somebody. And then they will contact you. Friends, this is the day the Lord has made. You know the rest of the verse? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, joy and reverence, those two things, they go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive. It is okay to be very joyful. It's okay to clap your hands, raise your hands, have a smile on your face. That's an allowable thing. And still be very reverent, recognizing we are in the presence of Almighty God. This is maybe the holiest hour of the Christian's entire week. And so as Harold, and I can't wait to hear this, I'm excited about this, as we are led into the presence of the Lord, as the music is played through the prelude, let's prepare our hearts for worship.
to worship this morning comes from Psalm 66, verses 1 through 4. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. May we join with all the earth in glorifying and magnifying and praising your holy name. How awesome are your works, O Lord. Fill us with a sense of your presence. May we know that you are here. We seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. 
Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Let us stand together and sing hymn number 170, Fairest Lord Jesus. One of the purposes of a confession of faith is that it unites us in what we believe. At the Council of Nicaea in the fourth century, a group of folks were gathered together to state for the, I won't call it infant church, but fairly early church, what it was they believed. They did that to, yes, it corrects some false teaching, but it also brings together. And so one of the reasons that we do this here at Lake Oconee is I look at this act of worship, this element of worship as something that unites us, unites us and brings us together around what we believe. So we will recite this together. And so my fellow believers, what is it that we believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead. 
whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us stand together and sing praises before the throne of God above. seated. One of the reasons each week we recite the Lord's Prayer together is that this is more than a prayer. It is also a very fitting summary of the Christian life, how God-centered it is. Notice that the first petitions focus on God, who he is, his name, his kingdom, his will being done. And it's only after, in a sense, you've wrestled with God in prayer. Because let's face it, aren't we all turned in upon ourselves? I'll raise my hand, I am. I need when I come to the Lord in prayer to get my eyes off of me and onto God. And we're immediately thinking about the fatherhood of God, who he is to us, hallowing his name. And it's only after we've wrestled with God in prayer that we're ready then to bring our needs, so to speak. Our needs are provisions, daily bread, forgiveness, a holiness of life. 
So friends, let's pray together the Lord's Prayer and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your inspired, inerrant word. We thank you that this teaching, actually it's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is part of your word where you are instructing us not only in prayer but also in our lives as followers of Jesus. I ask, Father, that we would have a deeper remembrance and a deeper sense of who you are as Father, that you are our guide, our provider, our shepherd, our protector. You nurture us. You hide us under the shadow of your wings. You are in heaven, ruling and reigning over all things. Your control center. There is nothing that is out of your control. There is nothing, no matter how chaotic it might appear to us, you reign from heaven. So may we respond by hallowing your name, by treating your name as holy, setting it apart, recognizing that you are God and we are not. So we praise you and we worship you and we glorify you and we long for the coming of your kingdom. We long for the return of Jesus. We just confess that as part of the creed together. That one day Jesus will come again in glory. And we long for that day. We ache for that day. Forgive us that we don't keep that more in our mindset where you are going to write every wrong and you're going to put the world to rights. For now we pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in the life of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. May your will be done here in Greene County and Putnam County. May your will be done in our lives. May we wrestle with you for your glory and honor. And we ask this day for our daily bread. We acknowledge you as the giver of every good gift. We thank you for the provisions that you give us. And we pray for any who are hurting, who are suffering in distress, who are suffering under affliction. Lord, may they have the daily bread of comfort, of your presence, of healing. And Father, may we be a forgiving people. We seek and we ask that you would forgive us our debts and help us to remember we need forgiveness so that when we look at relationships with others, we would be gracious and kind and forgiving. And as we grow in our sanctification, we pray to not be led into temptation, but to be delivered from all evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Sometimes I feel like after the choir is finished, I just have to take it in for a second. I mean, worship is profound in that way. I've been speaking from the beginning about how worship is less, I mean, we are giving God glory, we're bringing him our praises, all of that, but worship is much more God's gymnasium, where God is forming us, he's training us, he's discipling us in and through worship. And sometimes you just don't know how things will hit you. And so just that song, fly to Jesus, come to Jesus, dance for Jesus. Oh, that my heart would be gripped by the message of the gospel, that that would characterize my day-to-day life. And oh, that that would be what would characterize our lives as followers of Jesus here at Lake Oconee that in a sense we would be coming to Jesus with everything, not just our needs, but our entire lives would be centered and wrapped up in Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so, Amy, choir, I feel like you reinvigorated my vision a little bit. It could be dangerous. Maybe I'll get excited this morning. Uh Uh-oh, I'm starting to wander. I haven't even prayed and read the text yet. Thank you. That was a ministry to my soul. Let's come to the Lord as we are about to Uh, embark on his word this morning. Let's ask uh, for the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, we do come before you. We fly to Jesus right now, and Jesus, by your spirit, may you teach us what you want us to know. Uh, I'm reminded that you describe your word as living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so, if it's living and active, I mean, that by itself means it can't be Uh, bald-faced or bare information or just propositions to us. It's living. It's going to do something in us. And I don't know what it is that it's going to do in us. That's up to you. That's part of the adventure we're on. But it's living and active. That is a quality part of the nature of your word. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. So I pray, Father, for you to work in us sovereignly, according to your will now, in Jesus' name, amen. The text we're looking at this morning comes from the end of Romans chapter 3. If you've not been with us, what we're doing is we're going through Paul's, I call this the Mount Everest of Paul's writings, his magnum opus, so to speak, his letter to the Romans, and so that I don't take uh, eight years or ten years doing it, we're kind of cutting it off in small bites, and so we are doing Romans 1 to 4 right now, which means I'll be finishing that section sometime in October, and then we'll be moving on to something else, and you'll be like, huh, what? And then we will come back after the new year, we will come back to Romans 5 to 8, and at some point down the line, we'll tackle Romans 9 to 11, and we'll tackle Romans 12 to 16, but I'm doing the entire letter almost as a set of mini series. And so we're at the end of chapter 3, Romans 3, verses 27 to 31. Paul writes, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God because he loves us. Well, when I was a little kid, not quite seven years old, it's January of 1969, I got to see my first Super Bowl on TV. It was Super Bowl three between the big, the Goliath, so to speak, of the football world, the Baltimore Colts of the NFL, and the Davids, the upstart New York Jets of the AFL. This particular Super Bowl was famous for the quarterback of the Jets, 
Joe Willie Namath, a graduate, look, they're smiling, a graduate of Alabama University, went to Alabama, right? I can't believe these words are about to roll off my lips. Roll Tide. <laughs> Anybody who's watching on the live stream and knows how much of an Oklahoma fan cannot believe I just said that. But it was, in a sense, the party for Joe Willie Namath, who very confidently boasted that his Jets, who were, they were the Davids, they were big underdogs. He boasted they would go out and win the game. And what did they do? They went out and won the game, 16 to 7. Then you had, kind of in the same era, the same time frame, in the boxing world, there was Muhammad Ali, probably one of the most famous boxers of all times. Why was he famous? For his boasting, I am the greatest. I float like a butterfly, I sting like a bee. I've been working on that all week, by the way. How did that sound? He would, at the same time, attract many and repel many with his arrogant bragging and boasting. But what would he do? He would go out and win. I mean, I remember a few years later hearing the announcement, down goes Frazier, down goes... He would back up what he did. So what did Joe Namath and Muhammad Ali have in common? They could back up their boasting. They did what they bragged about. They performed and they knew it, so they would boast. Now, what has Paul been saying every single one of us has in common? You may try to boast if you want, but let me tell you something. You can't back up a single lick of it. We can boast we're better than others, we're superior, we work harder, we achieve more, we do this, I'm a better this, have you seen this person? We can't back up anything. And here in verses 27 to 31 of Romans 3, Paul is concluding this section, a section that began in verse 21 with the great words, but now, a righteousness from God is manifested, a righteousness apart from the law. And he's summing up the conclusions, and he's bringing out some of the gospel realities. Realities that come from the good news of Jesus Christ. In these verses, Paul has taught us that a right standing, a right position, a right status before God is a gift of God based solely on the work of Christ. And now, in these verses that close out chapter 3, in Paul's stream of thought, he's dealing in rapid-fire order, rapid-fire questions that result from the previous verses. And his logic is actually impeccable and quite simple. His logic is, if righteousness is a gift, if your standing before God has nothing to do with you, actually anything that has to do with you is a hindrance, is a barrier to a right standing before God, if righteousness completely is a gift, then what do we have to boast about? And the answer is absolutely nothing. It is excluded. It is eliminated. And so now in these five short verses, Paul is explaining two gospel realities, two implications, if you would, that stem from the reality that our standing and status before God is completely a gift of his due to the work of Christ and thus eliminates all boasting about ourselves. These two gospel realities are, and there are many more, but two are highlighted in this text, is that there is one way and that there is one family. There is one way, a way of grace, and one family, a family that is diverse and yet unified. Look with me at verses 27 and 28. Let's look at this one way. When Paul begins saying, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, I'm going to remind you of this illustration. But if you were here last week, you remember the illustration I told at the close of my sermon how when we were set free, redeemed by the blood of Christ, 
so that we belong to Christ. We went from the prison where we were held in bondage to the palace, God's home where we were brought in as his sons and his daughters with all the rights and all the privileges of belonging to his family. We went from the prison to the palace, and we love that idea of going from bondage to freedom, of going from the prison to the palace, of having a great home, a wonderful home, a spacious home. But there's one thing that is sort of natural to each one of us. In fact, we may be quite good at it. We want to earn it ourselves. We want to do it ourselves. You know, back in the 90s when I was working with World Harvest Mission and doing some work discipling with them with their sonship program, Jack Miller's wife, Rose Marie, used to say, as a kid, she remembered two years old, as a kid, the first words she remembered always saying were, let me, let me. That's kind of inherent to ourselves, isn't it? We tend to be independent, autonomous creatures. I can do it myself. You know, Evie's teaching me how to do things. We've got a new washer and dryer at home and stuff like that. Really cool. I like it a lot. And I'm kind of like, well, I've got to learn how to do laundry, right? Kind of. And it's not like our laundry back in Florida. I've got to learn. So she begins and she gets, of course, what are the words, first words out of, let me. I want to, I'll do it. So I start pushing buttons. Of course, I probably get every button wrong and stuff like that. But the point is we always want to do it ourselves, don't we? We're inherent in terms of self-reliance, independence, proving our own worth. You know, it's always by the sweat of our brow, I'm going to make something of myself. And you know why this is inherent to our nature? Because it gives us a ground of boasting. Maybe we don't go out like Joe Namath or Muhammad Ali and shout for all to hear, I am the greatest, but at least inwardly. And in all sorts of ways, we are wanting to say to ourselves and to the world, I have made it. Look at me. I'm somebody. Aren't we kind of like the Pharisee in the parable in Luke chapter 18, who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, adulterers, extortioners, this and that, or even this tax collector, over here. See, think about this. Whenever we say, I am not like that person, and we all do it, at least I worked hard. At least I achieved. At least I wasn't lazy. We're boasting about our own superiority. We're not coming into the presence of the Lord like the publican who couldn't even lift up his head to look at the Lord, but beat himself on the chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's face it, we all want to boast. We all do it. We all want to make it on our own. It's built into us. We don't want to say, I'm insufficient, I'm inadequate, I'm needy. But if we embrace the adequacy and sufficiency of Christ, that is exactly what we must do. We must say, I am insufficient. I am inadequate, but he is sufficient. He is adequate. I included this quote in your reflection in the bulletin this morning, but David Martin Lloyd-Jones in his classic book, Spiritual Depression, Depression, put it, he said, so often people say, I don't feel I'm good enough yet. And at once I know that I have been wasting my breath. They are still thinking in terms of themselves. They are still boasting. They have to do it. It sounds very modest to say, well, I don't think I'm good enough, but it's a very denial of the faith. For the very essence of the Christian faith is to say that he is good enough and I am in him. As long as you go on thinking about yourself like that and saying, I'm not good enough, oh, I'm not good enough, you are denying God functionally. You are denying the gospel. You are denying the very essence of the faith, and you will never be happy. See, the gospel of grace is that Jesus is good enough, that Jesus is righteousness, that he died, shed his blood in order for you to be found right and accepted in his sight. 
do you realize that rules out all boasting? It excludes it. See, this is the implication that Paul is putting forth here in verse 27. He takes these questions and in a rapid-fire fashion puts forth the realities of the gospel of grace. Thomas Schreiner, one of the commentators I've read on this particular text, says, boasting would be fitting if righteousness were based on what we do. In other words, if we could back up what we say, go ahead and boast. Faith, however, achieves nothing but with an empty hand receives and trusts in what God gives. Faith can't claim any credit since it didn't accomplish anything. Instead, believers put their faith in what God has done in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must first deny himself, give up yourself, divorce yourself from yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That was Jesus' evangelism, by the way. That wasn't elder training. That was 101. If anyone wants to follow me, the requirement for following me is have nothing to do with yourself. You think we maybe have to take Jesus' words a little bit more seriously sometimes? <clears throat> so Paul puts forward his argument in three rapid-fire questions. What becomes of our boasting? Then he says, second question, by what kind of law? A law of works? That's the third question. What does he mean here by a law of works and a law of faith? There are many who think he's referring back to the Mosaic law, things like the Ten Commandments and stuff like that. But most conservative scholars believe that Paul here is engaging in a sort of play on words where he's using law, either of works or of faith, as basically a system, a principle, or an order. So in other words, you can live your life, and we are doing so every moment of every day, on the system of law, that's the system of our performance, how we're doing, or the system based on a, the performance of another, Jesus Christ. And we are all the time living under one system or another. So the practical question is that we are to ask all the time, is what system am I living out of now? Am I living out of, see, we need to see that we are at every moment living under one or the other of these systems. Either you are trying to prove yourself and your own worth by your own self-effort, that's the law of works, or you are living under the grace and love and mercy and acceptance and approval of God based on the performance of Christ. One leads to bondage. You live under the law of works, the best that I can offer you is you are like a hamster in one of those wheels, constantly running around, running around, it leads to death. Only the law of faith, the system based on the performance of Christ, as he expands it in verse 28 and says, for we hold that one is justified by faith, the system of faith, apart from works of the law. Only that will lead to freedom. See, I taught on justification last week. I'm not going to go through the whole teaching again. But basically, justification is the ultimate life affirmation. It is the ultimate affirmation from God that we are okay. See, we all want to be tough, independent, don't want to show that we're needed. But every single one of us, the thing we need most of all is to know that we are okay. I think that's why the song that the choir did hit me so hard and hit me so well. Because it talks about come to Jesus, run to Jesus, fly to Jesus, dance for Jesus, because that ultimate life affirmation comes from being justified by faith. It is the verdict and the declaration of God. That is sure, that is certain, that is stable, that is irrevocable, that cannot and will not change. That says, you are okay. 
Is that not amazing? Sorry to yell, that just blows me away. See, affirmation is powerful. We need affirmation in our lives. We need, if we're living out of that, we're okay with God, we can then move towards others, affirming, encouraging, loving one another. And even when we have to confront, and when we have to disagree, and it's, it's necessary. This text does not preclude that, but we can still do that, especially with our Christian brothers and sisters, out of that foundation that they're okay because of the righteousness of Christ. They may need a course correction, but they're still fundamentally okay. See, are, are our words life-giving or life-detracting? Do our words give life or do they give death? See, affirmation is unbelievably powerful and important. I'll give a quick story, a quick illustration. I was planting a church in Oklahoma and the 40 worshipers, we were tiny, and we knew that we were running out of money we didn't know what our future held, so I was beginning to candidate, and I was candidating at the church in Florida, the church I was called to and ended up being at for 17 years before I came here. And a member of the search team, unbeknownst to me, sent her brother-in-law in. He was traveling through Oklahoma and said, why don't you go worship, worship at the church where I was pastoring, hear him preach, report back to us, let us know how it goes, all of that kind of stuff. So, of course, there's 40 of us, and in comes a visitor. You ever been in a small church plant when a visitor shows up? Zoom, we're like vultures. Hi, welcome to Edmond Community Church. Come on in. Yeah, we'll find you a seat. Well, can I get you a cup of coffee? Yeah, I know. We're, so we're there, we're, and we were friendly anyway. Okay, so we do that. And he hears me preach. And afterwards, I go up to him and welcome him and invite him and stuff like that. And all he said, and I still don't know who he is. To me, he's a visitor, right? And all he says is, Jack would be proud. Now I'm starting to think. And he meant Jack Miller, whom he knew, they grew up together in Northern California. Now you should ask Evie how I was that afternoon. Jack Miller is one of my heroes in the faith. I never met him, but he mentored me through his teaching, his lectures, his writing. And so when this man said, Jack would be proud of your preaching, that affirmation meant the world. Evie and I did not get in a conflict that afternoon. I was, I love you, honey. I'm ready. Here, here we. Affirmation gives life, it is powerful. But the ultimate affirmation we need comes from God. And friends, if you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, you have the ultimate verdict from God. He says over you, you are okay. Is that not amazing? Look with me and briefly. I promise you point one will be lo is longer than point two. This will be a briefer point. But a second... Rea gospel reality is that there is one family. The remainder of the text says, is, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not also the God of Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. See, what, what Paul is doing here is he's taking realities, he's drawing from the reality of our salvation, and he's saying, what difference does it make in the life of the church? And he's saying the difference that it makes in the life of the church is, and notice the words in the text, since God is one. He's alluding to and drawing from classic monotheism. There is one God. He's bringing together Old Testament passages like Deuteronomy 6.4. That says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or Zechariah 14.9, which in talking about the day of the Lord says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. He's bringing together these passages and saying, since God is one, there is one 
covenant family, one church established in and through the head of that family, Messiah Jesus. And all who believe in Jesus are brought into that family on one basis, faith in Jesus. This is absolutely huge. All are included on the same basis, faith in Christ. That means barriers are torn down. Unity is based on Christ. It supersedes all other sources of identity, things like race and nationality and country. See, we need to see the implications of this. The realities that come out of this is that you are a Christian first. Your identity is in Christ. There is no race or nationality or country that is better or superior than any other. Ours is one global family. Since God is one. And what does this mean for our church life? As one theologian put it, he writes, whatever it means to be a Christian, it at least involves the discovery of friends you did not know you had. Is that not amazing? Remember a book I read on the church years ago? It was called A Fellowship of Difference. In other words, what in the world we would never be united on. All our different viewpoints and backgrounds and stuff. All the, the barriers and the things that divide us in the church unites us. Another writer put it this way. He says, those friends are going to shock you. You're going to find yourself loving people who are very different from you. That's why the church can be tough at times. The church is not an aggregation of people who gather for an event on a Sunday morning and then disperse into the midst of the week. The church is a congregation of the committed who are very different from one another, racially, economically, politically, generationally, and nationally. That's what makes the church beautiful. The body of Jesus is made up of all kinds of people from all kinds of places who are learning what it means to love one another. The gospel reality is if we have our ultimate affirmation in Christ, the verdict is you're okay. That frees us up to not need to be superior from anyone, including those who are different from us. So you know what that means? That means we can love those who are different from us. We can include those who are different from us. We can learn from those who are different from us. There is nothing like going to people who are different from you and saying, tell me your story. How can I learn from you? What is it like to be you? Help me to enter in. That is a picture of the body life of the church, a fellowship of difference united in Christ. And let me tell you something. In the first century, this was absolutely shocking. Jews and Gentiles were those who hated each other. They despised each other. And yet, here they are in the church, one family, barriers broken down under the kingship of the one God. Can I tell you something? It can be just as shocking in the 21st century. You want a countercultural witness? Let's be unified with those who are naturally different from us. People who out in the world would never hang out together, never be friends, are all over the map in all sorts of ways, genuinely loving one another. That would blow the world away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the realities of the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that your word, living and active, will continue to do its work in us and upon us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final hymn, We Are God's People.
Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.